the Genesis Collective, supporting local artists and their work, making art more accessible, and putting art back into our communities. And now, your host for the evening, Tony Lavorna. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to be here with you tonight. We're going to tell some ghost stories. We're going to try to get them all in. Looks like the weather is going to cooperate for Halloween. So let's get down to it. Legends exist as a dark mirror to the American culture, reflecting fears, concerns, and sometimes even our hidden history. At the same time, they are difficult to define and explain according to traditional academic terms. Folklore can act as sometimes a warning, or to remember an event, or even give a moral reminder, or perhaps even record tragic events. So let me start with the story of the Pig Lady of Candleton Road. This is Beaver County filmmaker Christopher Writer Daniel Ross Kelly Powell, managing director. This is Beaver County artist Marlon. This is Beaver County filmmaker Joseph Aaron Podcast producer Kevin. This is Pamela Rossi Keen, the director of the Genesis Collective, and you're listening to the Genesis Collective podcast. On this episode, we're doing something a little different. Instead of featuring a Beaver County artist. We're recognizing community storytelling as an art form. I'm Kevin Farkas, one of the hosts of the podcast. You may have heard of the Beaver Tales Storytelling Festival, sponsored by the Beaver Area Heritage Foundation. For more than a decade, this fall festival has been exposing youngsters to what it calls the living art form of professional storytelling to help connect our communities to the world and celebrate different cultures. The highlight of the festival is a family-oriented evening of live storytelling at the Irving Park Gazebo in Beaver, where tall tellers and yarn spinners entertain the crowd, as local reporter Scott Tatey describes it, with new and old folktales and fairy tales from around the world. Another local history organization, the Beaver County Historical Landmarks and Research Foundation, also uses public storytelling to introduce children to local history in a fun and engaging way, as they say. After all, as Rudyard Kipling said, if history were told in the form of stories, it would never be forgotten. But just in time for Halloween, the holiday season perfectly suited for community storytelling, the Historical Landmarks Foundation at the Vickery Mansion in Freedom turns toward the dark side and hosts an evening of storytellers relaying tales, local legends, hauntings, and other accounts of paranormal experiences in Beaver County. These stories include the haunting legends of Mudlick Hollow, Summit Cut Bridge, The Man at the Top of the Hill, Mystery Mile, The Ghost of Danny Chabot, The Crying Boy of Franciscan Manor, Mary Black, The Witch of Elwood City, and The Case of UFO Flight 86 over Beaver County. And let us not forget the unsolved murder mystery of Barbara Davidson, who would become the Pig Lady of Candleton. The Pig Lady Festival is another autumn evening of community storytelling held in northern Beaver County as a celebration of local history through folktales, legends, and lore. But let's return to this notion of storytelling as a cultural phenomenon and community art form. 
Now, storytelling, especially when we gather around a campfire, is one of humankind's oldest social activities. It's an oral tradition, using voice and dramatic gestures to communicate, entertain, educate, and inspire our imaginations. Sometimes storytelling is instructional, imparting wisdom and giving us moral and religious guidance. Think of the parables of Jesus and Aesop's fables, which are thought to be from ancient Greece more than 2,500 years ago. Through storytelling, we come to know our identity, our values, and our traditions. Think of the Jewish Seder stories of the Exodus, the traveling Irish and Gaelic Shonaki stories, or the creation stories of indigenous peoples all over the world. This is who we are, the storytellers remind us. This is how we got here. The stories we tell ourselves around the campfire are most often very old. In fact, Anthropologists now think that the oldest known community storytelling through art can be found among the Lascaux cave paintings in France, dating back more than 44,000 years. But the oldest known oral storytelling, we might even say oral history, comes out of Australia, where to this day, Aboriginal peoples are sharing a story around their campfires that dates back more than 10,000 years and recounts a time before the last great ice age. Storytelling and history are always intertwined. That's why so many stories begin with, once upon a time, a long time ago. Our own Beaver County tale of the Pig Lady of Canelton rises up from our own history, what some call our bloody past. It begins with the true story of Barbara Davidson's murder in the 1790s. In just a moment, you're going to hear this story as told at the Pig Lady Festival before a live audience by local author and folklorist Tony Lavorna. But first I want to underscore this rather interesting connection between Beaver County history and the eerie and frightening story of Barbara Davidson, which is now one of our county's most enduring ghost tales and unexplained paranormal events. Local folklorist Michael Kishbooker contends that to fully appreciate the tale of Barbara Davidson and the Pig Lady of Canelton legend, we should know something about our frontier history, including the often violent relationship between indigenous peoples and white settlers of the area. My first experience was not from school, which I thought I should have learned a lot about Native American history in, in high school, and it just didn't happen. I had never heard of Chief White Eyes. One of the primary negotiators of the Treaty of Fort McIntosh with the uh, Lenape, and he was murdered for it. The, the Treaty of Fort McIntosh, I'd never heard of that. It was a treaty signed in Beaver at Fort McIntosh giving natives rights to a huge chunk of Ohio that they would keep as a state in the new United States once it was formed. I don't understand why this history, very local history, is not taught in our schools. Here's David Halawiko of the Little Beaver Historical Society on why knowing history is important. Listen, schools don't even have enough money to come for field trips to come see us to learn the local history. I'm sorry, a lot more happened in this country here than a lot of other places. Beaver County was a hotbed of history from, you know, from the 1700s clear up. There were Native Americans here 10,000 years ago. People don't know that. Beaver County public historian Mark Grego also recognizes the importance of understanding local history. I went to Aliquippa. We didn't learn any of this stuff when we were in school. We learned about basic Indian tribes and that was it. I had no idea until I studied this on my own, until I started reading books, and then even when I created my website, I just had no clue. It blew my mind 
of how significant Native American culture is to Beaver County and always will be. We need to understand that when we study Native Americans, we're basically studying ourselves, too. It's embarrassing and uncomfortable that the natives were treated very poorly. We stole their land at gunpoint. And the thing about it is we don't have many Native Americans in the Valley that want to even talk about it. One of the things that I have discovered is just how much blood was spilled with Beaver County. You know, there were, there were so many battles and there were so many raids. And when the French arrived first and then you had the English come and you had all these skirmishes and, and raids and scalps and killings. Beaver County is built on blood. Every single town here has a torrid history. You know, the cost of the development of Beaver County is quite serious. And we need to remember that and talk about it. Fort McIntosh was a frontier fort during the Revolutionary War basically to fend off the Native American attacks. It was not there to you know, stop a British corps or army from coming through because that, that wasn't gonna happen. They were all fighting in the East. The British military out of Fort Detroit was arming and, and training Native resistors to wage this terrorism, but that's what it was. They, they were not attacking the military, they were attacking citizens. So Fort McIntosh was, was put there to try and protect the citizens along the, the Ohio River. And they had a company that was called Brady's Rangers, named after Captain Samuel Brady. He would uh, form these scout units that would just patrol all along the, the Ohio River. They would try to find these raiding parties and send them back or kill them off. So Sam Brady had received a call for help from some farmers not far from Fort McIntosh. One in particular farmer, his name was Gray, I believe, had gone fishing and came back and his house was on fire. His wife and children were gone and he assumed it was a, a raid while he was away. So Brady, this gray person and one other ranger tracked the native war party all the way up to Brady's Run Park, where Brady's Run Park is. They found them there and allegedly killed 13 Wyandots in their sleep right along the creek. And uh, for a time after that, Brady's Run was actually called Bloody Spring because the blood ran red there. Did it happen? Was it 13 Indians? Probably more like two or three. You know, I, I seriously doubt that when a Native American camp, they left one guy, you know, like most camps, you left people up. So who knows the true history? But to me, that kind of stuff is what gave the Native Americans a bad name. I mean, their sole mission was to destroy the Indians. And that's exactly what they did. I was really mostly interested in how the history helped to form or, or to create a folklore. The specific time was the Northwest Indian Wars, which was, you know, the, the DMZ ran through Beaver County. It's when the, the Northwest tribes, the Northwest Confederacy formed to push back against uh, the fledgling United States and try to maintain their own territory north of the Ohio River. It was a pretty bloody time. The natives were so outgunned and so outmanned that they had to turn to what we would call terrorism now. And they would attack undefended families, not the military. If you think about it, it was natural because they, they didn't have a standing army uh, like the United States had at Fort Pitt. So this is the only way they could push back. It's the only way they could, uh, they could resist. 
but out of that came lots of legends and, and history. And, and unfortunately, the, um, the perception that all natives were savages. I was researching the origins of folklore in the area, and it seemed to always come back to the wars. A lot of the ghost stories and the, you know, the scary, spooky stories come out of a time when Beaver Countyans were nervous and scared to live in Beaver County, and it changed our psychology. Even the Barbara Davidson story, her military husband, you know, probably fought in the Native American Wars, or at least the Revolutionary War, which in Beaver County, Revolutionary War was an Indian War. It was not a force-on-force battle. It was the British tribes that had aligned were, you know, raiding along the Ohio River, the settlements. It, it just influenced these ghost stories. It influenced the origins because of the horrific acts that happened during that time. The folks that lived along the Ohio River, that was the boundary, didn't know with, you know, when they went to bed that night, if, you know, somebody was gonna break in and steal everything or kill them. And now, Let's return to Tony Lavorna, our storyteller recorded live at the Big Lady of Canelton Fall Folklore Festival. The story you are about to hear is true. Barbara Davidson was a real person. To this day, her murder remains an unsolved mystery. Her ghost, according to many, still walks among us. So let me start with the story of the Big Lady of Canelton Road. For more than two centuries, the ghost of a young woman named Barbara Davison has haunted the area around Canelton Road in northern Beaver County. She would meet a grisly demise after her killer took both her life and her head. Barbara's decapitated head was never found, nor was her killer she would become known as the Pig Lady, a phantom that has interacted with many over these passing years. Barbara Davison's story begins around the start of the American Revolution. She was born in South Carolina in 1777, the daughter of a rice planter Samuel and Cora McCaskey. When the British invaded, the family was forced off their property. Samuel fought on the side of the rebellion, and for his services he received a small parcel of land, after which the family relocated on a piece near the Little Beaver River, known today as Darlington Township, Beaver County. Barbara, like most, grew up taking care of the family farm. Performing mundane chores, she would go about tending to the livestock. It was the chickens and the pigs that she worked with the most. Day after day, she would toil over the beasts. The smell of the pig corrals could take one's breath away. In the mud, she would stomp through each day. But at night, it was different for Barbara. She was a social creature. She was always well-received by her Scottish neighbors. Barbara was said to possess a beautiful singing voice with musical talent. 
She was said by many to have long, beautiful hair with a fair complexion. It was no mystery why her many young suitors were attracted to her. She gave her heart to an army veteran by the name of Nathan Davidson. Davidson was from the state of Virginia and was already established in the community there. So, at the tender age of 15, the newly wed couple moved to Virginia. Now, we do not know what had happened to the marriage. However, there was a falling out by 1794. Barbara would return home to her parents' farm and subsequently her death. It would be a sweltering summer's day in 1795 that her family would make a several-day routine trip to Pittsburgh to purchase more livestock. Barbara stayed behind to tend the farm. Little did Samuel and Cora realize this would be the last time they would look upon their beautiful daughter's smiling face. It would be the last moment of their child's life. Samuel looked at Cora, gazed out at his farm, surveying the land, finally coming to rest on the sight of his beautiful daughter. At the crack of the lash, they were off down the old dirt road. Several days had elapsed since their journey to Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh market that was, with their livestock in tow. The McCaskies returned to the farm. Upon the family's return, Barbara was nowhere to be found. They searched for five hours. Something was terribly wrong. They would ask the neighbors first. No one had seen her. The McCaskies would ask for their neighbors help to gather a search party. They looked everywhere in the woods, the farmyard, and the barn. Regrettably, they would find Barbara Davidson's contorted headless body stuffed underneath the crawl space of the family house. Her head was severed and missing, nowhere to be found. It was almost too much for the family to bear. Despite their best efforts, the authorities were never able to apprehend the killer, and her death shattered the peace and tranquility of the small community. The McCaskies would bury their daughter two mile from their home in the small country cemetery. The inscription of her wooden tombstone read, Barbara Davidson, a headless form neath this mold doth lie, murdered most file, loved by all, save one. But this is not the end of our story, oh no. Barbara Davison wrestles ghost, is seeking retribution on her killer. You see, Barbara's headless form has allegedly been seen by many. Her ghost walks the woods surrounding her old farm. Even the cemetery, people claim to hear cries where her headless body was once laid to rest. 
Late at night, some teenage youth are out on the wooden footbridge that crosses over the Little Beaver River. On the hippie bridges it is called, a young man takes a drag on his cigarette, his friends tormenting him about his lack of courage. Up yours, he barks at them as he slowly walks up the footbridge. As he nears the end of the bridge, the air grows thick. Each step he takes slower than the last. See, there's nothing. I told you. Just then, a fog envelops him. The air is so cold. Her shape forms slowly out of a column of mist. As the young man turns, he sees a woman sobbing. As he approaches, the sobbing turns into a grunting. The boy's eyes grow wide at the spectacle before him. It is the apparition of Barbara Davidson's form with the head of a pig. Terror bolts through him as he runs for his life. Could it be she decided to use a pig's head to scare would-be visitors because she tended to the beasts while in life? Barbara's head was never found. There has always been speculation as to its fate. Some believe the head was thrown in an old mine that was above Candleton Road. Many have claimed to see a bodiless head frightening those who walk the road. One such tale involves a man by the last name of Gray. Gray was bringing a wagon fully loaded with fresh-picked apples down the road. He struggled to see where he was going. It was a combination of his kerosene lantern and the moonlight that aided him. As he slowly passed the mine shaft, he was startled by a glowing ball of light. The glowing ball emerged directly into the front of his wagon. It spooked his horses, causing them to run frantically. The glowing ball formed into a head and attached itself to the lead horse. At that, Gray realized the head had long flowing hair. The head would turn and face him. It had red glowing eyes, the ghost. The ghostly head tormented the animal as Gray fought to keep the wagon upright. Apples would fly out at every bump in the road. The spectacle finally came to an end when the ghostly head left the horse and vanished in the direction of the mine. Years passed, and a volunteer was sitting around a campfire. Barbara Davison's apparition materialized out of the campfire smoke. As he sat there astonished, watching the smoke change into the form of a woman with no head, the man quickly wiped his eyes. A woman's voice then slowly began to speak. The ghostly form said, Tell him, Reno. Reno. The apparition vanished into the air. Startled, the man tried to remember the words he had heard from the ghost. Eventually, he realized the specter was saying a name. The French name was Reynaud. Ironically, there was a French Indian trooper whose name was Reynaud that resided around the time of Barbara's death. This trapper had a bad reputation amongst the town. 
could it be that Barbara Davison was attempting to name her killer from beyond the grave? The tale of the pig lady of Candleton. You've been listening to a live recording from the Pig Lady of Candleton Fall Folklore Festival, a community storytelling celebration of local legends and lore. Be sure to check out the show notes to this episode to learn more about the Pig Lady Festival, which takes place each October in northern Beaver County. You can also learn more about Barbara Davidson and check out a recent paranormal investigation on location where Barbara was murdered on the Davidson family farm in Candleton. On each episode of this podcast, we feature a different piece of public art in Beaver County, from painting to sculpture, from the grand to demure, from serious to silly. Public artworks are significant expressions about who we are and what we care about. They commemorate history, people, places, and events. And sometimes public art is meant to be an open, inviting, and interactive space for communities to heal. This is what we find at the Weeping Wall in front of the future home of the Portobello Cultural Life and Arts Center on 7th Avenue in Beaver Falls. The center is expected to be the hub of community activity with a co-op food market, pottery studio, black box theater, and conference room. The center will be a gathering place for artistic expression. But for now, the Portobello building remains an empty lot. What started out as an unadorned sidewalk barrier in front of the lot where the Portobello Center will be built, a wall of brown wooden pallets eventually became the locus of community expression, ranging from grief to hope, surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd and nationwide protests against racial injustice and police brutality. The weeping wall, says Portobello, was designed to help process the pain and chaos that has surrounded us during the spring and summer months of 2020. The public was, and still is, invited to interact with the wall. Portobello goes on to say, Much like the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, we invite the community to write directly on the wall, tuck prayers or wishes into the cracks and crevices of the slats, or tack up a poster that shows your grief for someone lost to COVID or someone who still cries out for the pain of systemic racism. This is your wall, Beaver Falls community, says Portobello. We invite you to interact with it as a tool for processing, communicating, and healing. We highly recommend visiting the Weeping Wall in Beaver Falls. It's public art that will move you. That does it for this episode of the Genesis Collective Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes featuring local Beaver County artists, more art talk, news and events about the Genesis Collective, and our spotlight on public art throughout the county and in your community. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Genesis Collective Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And visit us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and our website, gcollective.org. I'm Kevin Farkas. See you next time. 
You are listening to a production of the Genesis Collective. Supporting local artists and their work. Making art more accessible. And putting art back into our communities. What I want you to know above all is that the Genesis Collective is about you. It's about our community. It's about something that is crucial to who you are as a human being. It taps into a power that we don't realize we have. Artists are making things. This is who they are and what they want to do. Please dream with us, get involved.